then let's just pray over the word. How about that? Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you that of all the things out there that we can believe, your word is the one. Lord, we understand tonight that your word is true forever. We understand tonight that it lasts for eternity. We believe your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for taking the time in writing this love letter we call the Bible. And thank you for speaking to us. We ask tonight, Holy Spirit, you would speak it. You would teach it. You would show us what we need to know. Father, we thank you. We honor you tonight for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to get you to hang with me for just a minute. I'm going to make a statement, okay? It will be impossible to win our nation back to God. That didn't sound very positive, did it? This nation has strayed so far away, it'll be impossible to do that. I mean, the church, not all, not every church, but overall the church has been inept in calling this nation back to God. In fact, the church has even been complicit in the demise of society because she's forsaken the word. She's become more enamored with the Christian show and wants to avoid all truth that will offend anyone. And so she's a part of the problem. The church is ignorant. The church people are ignorant. And this breaks my heart because they don't hear the word taught. They don't hear. They have no idea how to fight against the devil. They have no idea how to take a stand for righteousness. They have no concept of what it means because church has, to the Christian has become about the Christian rather than about the Christ. And we understand that the Bible teaches us that we are the brothers and sisters of Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ, but at the same time, we are servants of God. We're soldiers in the army. I mean, it's not about us, it's about Him. It's about His kingdom. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, and then He gave the church the job to reach out to the world about this kingdom. I mean, church services have exchanged the, the real of the Holy Spirit for the imitation of something we feel. I can't tell you how real that one is, because if we can get people to feel something through the music, feel something in their intellect, feel something, that, that even though it's void of the word, if we can get somebody to feel something, then they come back. Because we like to feel something. I mean, I don't know. We go to movies because we like to feel something. But people, we, we, want, we want to feel something. And if we can just get a big old crowd, then we think that we're doing something. Well, so far... We're not reaching our culture. We're not changing the culture. The culture is exchanging, is, 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 is changing the church because we're trying so hard to be relevant that we look, smell, and act just like the world. Not all churches, a lot of churches. We've strayed so far away from our foundation in this nation that was built on Judeo-Christian value. And when our forefathers landed on this continent, made vows to God, promising this to be for him, one nation under God. I mean, we, we've, we've gotten so far away from that, it's almost like we've squeezed the toothpaste out of the tube, and now we want to try to get it back in. It, it, it's just like it's impossible. I mean, sadly, most churches are either afraid to stir the waters because they don't want the retaliation 
from an angry culture that disagrees with them. You understand, the culture doesn't like the church for the most part. Wants to cancel the church, wants to cancel God. I mean, isn't it amazing to you that a group of men dressed up like Catholic nun women defies the, the God of our fathers and they're being honored at a professional sporting event? That is unbelievable. We've gone a long way. They hate the church. Now they vocally express their, their contempt for God and for the things of God and the people of God. Some are that way. They don't want anybody to get mad at them. Others have gotten so angry that all they want to do is yell at them. Just yell at the people. Tell them, you're going to hell. Yes, they're going to hell. And you know what? They know it. What we need to be asking for is the wisdom to speak to them with a word from God. It'll cut through all of that stuff. And then we got those who just have given up. You know, just hope Jesus comes back. Sadly, a lot of people in our age group are like that because we only, you know, we're like, you know, we've already lived our life through. Jesus, just come on back. We're done. We got kids, grandkids. Let's just go on to heaven. That would not be a bad thing, by the way. <laughs> but that doesn't need to be our attitude. There are so many out there in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he comes back today, we're going. But what about those who aren't, who might have a chance? So many have just given up, hoping Jesus comes back. Well, let me just say this. We must not give up. Listen to this verse of Scripture. And I think this is where we are right now. This is 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. King Hezekiah is saying this. By the way, most people think Hezekiah is a book in the Bible. It's not. It's a king of Judah. Here's what Hezekiah said. He said, This is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come forth to the birth, and there is not strength to bring them forth. <coughs> Excuse me. There's not strength to bring them forth. The church is weak. Doesn't have the strength to bring them forth. It's a day of trouble. A day of rebuke. Let me tell you the story behind all of this. The Assyrians captured Israel. And they were capturing every country along the way. And they decided that, 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 that Judah was next. They came to Jerusalem. They get to the wall of the city. And they start telling the leaders of the city. They started saying, you know what? We are going to take your city. We're going to take it down. Don't you dare sit up there and think that your God is going to deliver you. Did the gods of this country, the gods of that country, the gods of that country, did they help any of them? No, they didn't. And your God ain't going to help you either. That's what they're saying in our culture today. Your God can't do what you say he can do. We're not sinners. You're just crazy. You're depending on this weak religion of yours and they're defying the living God. And they defied God. In fact, the leaders said, hey, don't talk to us in our tongue. Speak to us in your tongue because we understand that. And they said, no, no, we want everybody on this wall to hear what we're saying to you. And they might as well just come on down and join us. And that's what the culture is saying to us. And so they went back, these leaders of the city <coughs> went back and they found Hezekiah and they told him, all this stuff that, that, they, that they said. 
And so after they said that, Hezekiah said, this is a day of trouble. He was bemoaning the fact that they were right. He was bemoaning the fact that they were in trouble and they had no way to defeat this Assyrian army. They weren't big enough. They weren't powerful enough. And so he kind of is whining about it, which is what the church is doing mostly. We're whining about it. Our country's so messed up. It's all, it's all bad. And so he says, he whines about it for a few minutes. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Go find Isaiah and tell him what they said. So that was the first smart thing he said. Because they need a word from God. You and I, we need a word from God. We need the wisdom of God. We need the word from God. And we need the power of God to face what this country is facing. So in, in, in the same chapter later down, it says, And Isaiah said to them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. <coughs> well, that's exactly what happened. He went back home, his boys killed him. We need a word from God. Instead of being so focused on the trouble, the rebuke, the blasphemy, what if we could focus on the answer? What if we could focus on what is necessary to happen in this nation? Instead of getting together at the coffee shop and complaining, what if we got together at the coffee shop and agreed with the word? I mean, just said, no, no, we believe what the Bible says. We believe what God says. I mean, we need to recognize something. This country is in trouble. Is that for me? Thank you so much. We need to recognize that the scripture is for us. God is on our side. Listen to these verses. And Jesus said, now Jesus is saying this, okay? He said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. It's a fact that it's impossible to bring this nation back to God. That's a fact. All things are possible with God is truth. Which outweighs which? The facts change every day. I mean, today, the fact is, I have a headache. Tomorrow, that will, I don't have one really. But tomorrow, that won't be the fact anymore. The truth is true, always true. By His stripes, I was healed. That's truth. We need to learn how to implement truth instead of fact. The fact that, that Hezekiah faced, those were the facts. The truth was that the Word of God was going to deliver them. That's the truth. How about this truth? <coughs> Jesus, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say John 3.16? That was Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you base your eternal security on that verse perhaps? Yeah, we're going to heaven because we believe that verse. I mean, I grew up in a church where they probably shared that verse every week. And I know I watched football enough back in the, in the 80s to see John 3.16 all the time on the guy's head. But Jesus said to them, If you can believe, all things are possible 
to him that believes. There's no if with God. Here's the if. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. What if a bunch of people believed, got together, and began to say what God said? What do you think would happen then? All things are possible. Now, you can look all these Greek words up if you want to. The word all means all. (laughs) The word things means things. This is a very accurate translation. All things are possible. To who? To him that believeth. Not to him that has the money. Him that believes. If we believe, it's possible. That's the truth. Listen to this verse. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Speaking of God, it's impossible. Here's something that's impossible. It is impossible to please God if faith is not involved. How much faith does it take to complain about your property taxes? None. No faith. In fact, most Christians go to God and complain about their property taxes. He already knows that. Do you want it to stay that way? Then you need to begin to find what the Word says and begin to pray what the Word says. I've said this many times before. Most Christians are like a thermometer. They tell you the way it is. They need to be like a thermostat and tell you the way it's going to be. Walk into a room and the the thermometer may say it's 74, but if you're a thermostat, you turn it down to 72 and what happens? It becomes 72. We need to learn how to say, okay, this is what is happening now. What did God say? And let's turn the temperature there. Let's be the thermostat that does that. Well, is it possible for that to happen? Well, all things are possible to him that believes. It's, it's, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. How about this one? Again, this is Jesus talking in Mark 11. And Jesus answering saith unto them, here's how it says in the King James, have faith in God. Now if you look these words up in the Greek, in God would be the Greek words en theos. That in what it says here. It says have faith theau. The word theau doesn't mean in God. It means of God or G-O-D apostrophe S. He literally said have God's faith. Have faith. The faith of God. Now, we're thinking, wait a minute. Now, that's only God can have that. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet that I, but Christ lives in me. And the faith that I live by is His faith and not mine. We're supposed to have faith like God has. How can we do that? By believing what God said. I promise you, God believes every word He says. Jesus believes every word He says. This came on the heels of Jesus looking at a tree and talking to it. Now, that is crazy. 
He said, no man eat fruit from thee hereafter forever. And that fruit, that tree died from the roots right then. And they said, golly, Jesus, the tree is dead. And Jesus said, have faith of God. Have God's faith. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Do we believe that? The answer is yes to that question, by the way. Yes, we believe what you said, Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. He didn't say, therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you gripe about the most at coffee with the other guys is going to be resolved. No, no, no. It's up to God getting His Word into our mouth, into our hearts, and us believing Him. Do we believe the facts or do we believe the truth? It is impossible. But only if we don't believe God. How about this passage of Scripture? You know the story how Jesus was with His disciples. And they came and they said, your friend Lazarus is sick. Remember that story? Talk about impossible. Lazarus is sick. And Jesus said, okay. But he didn't go right away. And the disciples are like, well, I, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe Jesus doesn't care. I, I don't know. And, and, and Jesus tells them, he tells them, he says, you know what? He's asleep. And they said, oh, that's good because if he's asleep, he can get well. He said, no, no, he's dead. He's dead. And finally, they waited around long enough that they went to where Lazarus was. They got there four days after he died. Now the Jewish people believed that, that if, if you were in the grave for three days, it was possible, they'd never seen it happen, but it was possible for your spirit to float around for three days and come back into you and you'd come back to life. But after four days, you're doorknob dead. I mean, that's it. You're done. Okay, so Jesus waits till the fourth day and he shows back up. Okay, so I'm going to start with this verse in verse 35. Jesus wept. Then said the well, let me tell you what happens before this. Before this happens, he meets with Martha. And Martha says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Paraphrase. Jesus, this is your fault. You ever blame God for something? That's pretty big. Right to his face. Jesus, this is your fault. We asked you to come. You didn't come. Our brother died. That's a lot of gall from anybody. Well, then they get sweet little Mary to come. What'd she do? Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. It's your fault. The problem isn't Jesus' fault, whatever it is. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he, how he loved him. And some of them said, 
Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused even this man that he should not have died? Now everybody's saying it. This is Jesus' fault. This is God's fault. How could God allow this to happen? Verse 38 says, Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, he groaned before, cometh to the grave. The word groan is an interesting word. The word groaning literally means in the Greek language to be angry and snort like a horse, getting ready to go into battle. See, we read, the ver- we read verses sometimes we don't get it. Jesus is irritated now. These people are blaming God for the death of Lazarus. They're blaming God. Jesus groaned. It says it was, a co- it was a cave and a stone lay on it. And Jesus said, I don't think he was happy. Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. If you'd have been here yesterday, we could have done some, but four days. He said to her, Said I not to thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? This is impossible. It's all impossible. He said, You'd see. The, and they, so they took away the stone from the place where, he lay, where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, he's not asking for anything, by the way. And I knew thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He did not say, Lord, help me. He did not say, Lord, raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't ask for anything. And then, see, we have these weird things. He didn't even bow his head. He looked up and he prayed. Didn't fold his hands, none of that. It says, and we had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, had he not said Lazarus, everybody would have come forth. So he had to specifically call Lazarus out of there. Lazarus, come forth. It is impossible that something that far gone could ever come back to life. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. That's what the church needs to be doing Today, instead of saying, Lord, this is too late, it's impossible. If we believe, all things are possible. How about this story? Isn't this good so far? Lots of stories. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of dry bones. You know this story. The Lord takes him and shows him a valley full of dead people. Dry bones. Dry bones are out there. (laughs) And caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, I read one theologian that said that Elijah knew this was a test. He, I mean, God carries him out here and says, 
can these bones live? And Elijah thought, oh my, I need to answer this right. What if these are the bones of all the prophets who failed this test? What am I going to do? <laughs> he knew it was a test. Now, I don't know if that really happened or not, but that's what this one theologian said. And he gave the right answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. That was the answer. You know. And again, he said to me, prophesy upon these bones. Now, this is impossible. We don't just have one dead guy in a, in, in a cave. We have hundreds of dead people. They're not even totally attached to one another. Hundreds of them. And he said, prophesy upon these bones and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And he prophesied several things to them, and eventually they got muscle and skin and everything, and they rose up an exceeding great army. It was impossible. But it took someone with the word of God spoken in obedience to bring life. The church isn't necessarily dead, but she is sure asleep. It's going to take people like us to prophesy to her and to say, wake up. It is not too late if the church will do what it's supposed to do. I mean, it seems like it's dead, but a word from God will overwhelm death and the power of God will be released if we will simply hear Him and obey Him and stop the complaining and the whining about what's going on. It's okay to be informed, don't get me wrong. But we must have the Word of God in our mouth. We must spend more time in the Word than we are complaining about the world. We must spend time with the answer rather than the problem. And that brings me to this. I've read this the last several times we've been together. Jesus takes his guys out and they, he said, who do people say I am? They said all these things in verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Good question. Simon Peter, Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee by my Father which is in heaven. And I say also to thee, Thou art Peter, little rock, and upon this rock, big boulder, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The big boulder is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the answer. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that has the revelation of who Jesus is. The gates of hell, not the advance of hell, the gates of hell. Talking about our job to plunder it so that we can bring many that are captive. But I'm not talking about if they died and went to hell. I'm talking about who in this life are captivated by hell. They've been lied to. And then Jesus said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you believe those words? The answer is yes. We believe them. We believe the Bible. We believe if Jesus said it. We need to wake up to the reality that what Jesus said he meant, and he meant what he said, 
And we need to know that's what Jesus said. This, this is the key of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about authority and power over the enemy. Would we agree that there's an enemy that's trying to steal this nation? I think we would agree. There's an enemy that's trying to steal our kids and our grandkids. There's an enemy that's trying to take away the church and, and silence it. There's an enemy. We have authority. We must be willing to invade hell and release the captives, be willing to do what we're supposed to do, take a stand and move the devil out of our lives and thwart his plans for stealing, killing, and destroying. We, us, this isn't for the preachers, this is for us. We have a commission and authority to bind and loose some things. Right? Right. Now here's what it says. It says, <laughs> and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Doesn't that sound weird to you? If there's stealing going on on earth, why would I need it bound in heaven? Because there is no stealing going on in heaven, right? Now, this is the way it's supposed to be. There are some translations that say, modern translations that say, whatever you bind on earth is what has already been bound in heaven. It doesn't say that in the Greek. Whatever you bind on earth <laughs> will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why, how can we bind and loose things in heaven? How can that even be? Doesn't even make sense, does it? Getting ready to. The word heaven here is the Greek word uranos, which has three definitions. Number one, the definition of this word uranos is the heaven of heavens where the throne of God is, the highest heaven. Number two, the definition of this word is the universe, the starry heavens. Number three, the sky where clouds gather and where thunder and lightning are produced. Three definitions, Greek definitions of this word, heaven. I think it's perfect that it has three definitions. You're going to find out why. Think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Now that's a pretty fascinating thing. Just think about that one for a minute. He didn't even know if he was in his body or out of his body. He, he, knew, he, knew, he, was, he knew he was someplace different than he is now. He didn't know which one it was. When we die, it's going to be like that. We're going to come out of our body, and we're going to, wow, I feel better than I've felt in a long time. I feel great. Wow. Who is that guy? Oh, he is old. Oh, that's me. That's me. And, and it goes on to say, such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now, wait a minute. If there's a third heaven... There must be a second heaven. There must be a first heaven. So there's got to be at least three. Paul here is talking about he was in the third heaven. He's talking about the highest heaven where God dwells. And all evil has already been bound. There are three heavens. We need to understand that. There are beings in all three of these heavens. Beings all around there. I mean, and not only that, there's earth and there's hell. And there are beings in those places. Sometimes we think that this is all there is. This isn't all there is. And I've said it many times. This is the shortest thing we're ever going to do. 
I mean, think about this. The scripture says in Ephesians 3, verse 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We have family in heaven and earth. I mean, I think we all believe that. We have family in heaven. Some of the family is in heaven, some of the family is on earth. I promise you, all the family from the 15th century are in heaven. None of them are in the earth anymore. 16th, 17th, 18th century, those are also gone. Now, there are some of them gone from the 20th and 21st century, and they're there. I mean, I've heard people say, I've done lots of funerals over the years, and, and I'm sure Joe has too, and, and they come up to you afterward and they go, well, he's in a better place. Not if he didn't know Jesus. Hell is worse than cancer. I mean, hell is worse than anything you can think of. Well, he's in a better place. No, no. if he didn't know Jesus, then, then he's not in a better place. Death, apart from Jesus Christ, if we're facing death apart from him, we ought to be terrified. But we don't have to be terrified. Because we know who we believed. The scripture says this. You know this one. I've already talked about it already. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, whether he believes or not, if he's just been good, he can go to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's what we believe, believing in Jesus. John 3.36, we never quote this one to people. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's a serious thing. We need to know what it says. So, as we know, it's best to get saved early and live out your life. Even though, now, one night I got a phone call from the nursing home in our town in Dumas, and they said, they said Pastor Randy, everybody in town called me Pastor Randy. Everybody called me that because they all knew who I was. It was a small enough town, and we did enough TV, they knew that. They said, Mrs., I can't remember her last name, Mrs. So-and-so has asked if you would come and talk to her. I had been going to this nursing home for years. I went by her room every week to see if she would come to church. She never came one time. And they said, we think she's passing away, and she's asked if she can talk with you. I said, sure. It was like 11 at night. So I went down there, held her hand, and... I asked her, asked her what she wanted, and she couldn't really talk. She'd been in pain, lots of pain all day, and she was obviously dying. And, and I said, are you asking, are you, did you call me here to talk to you about Jesus? She said, yes. I said, okay, let me tell you about Jesus. And so I told her how to be born again. And I asked her, I said, would you like to be born again? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you agree with me, at the end of this prayer, I want you to squeeze my hand because she couldn't really talk. And so I prayed this prayer. She squeezed my hand with everything she had. And that's all she wanted. So I left. That night, she slept the whole night. I mean, she never had slept through a whole night in years. She slept the whole night. Woke up the next morning. Felt good. Had breakfast. Talked to the people. Went back. Well, they put her back in her bed. And she passed away before lunch listen you got to get there even if you don't get there to the last night of your life here we got to get there but it's our job to rescue those people okay let me get back to the three heavens Ephesians listen to this I love this Ephesians chapter 
chapter 1. Now, let me go to here. Yeah. The scripture says this in Ephesians 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's in the atmosphere. Wait a minute. That's the first heaven. The air, the air we breathe, the air out here. That's the first heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the, In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose image of God should shine unto them. The Bible says Satan is God of this world. Good news, but not forever. Okay? It's in this heaven that we have the authority to bind and to loose. This heaven. There are not demon problems in, in the heaven of heavens. No demon problems there. Now let me get to this. The scripture talking about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1, and you know this, talked about God had seated him in his right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but in that which is also to come. I mean, Jesus has this name above every name. In Philippians Above every name that is named, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the name of Jesus. I like that we heard that song now. The name of Jesus. And hath put all things under His feet. Where are His feet, do you think? On His body. The feet are on the body. He hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. God raised Jesus from the dead, set Him on His right hand, gave Him the name that is above every name that is named. And in that He also gave that name to the church, the name of Jesus. I think sometimes we underestimate it because we use it so often. In the name of Jesus. No, no, we need to learn how to use it like the weapon it is and the authority that we have. I mean, we need, we need to understand that this name of Jesus, it is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. This is inclusive for all time throughout eternity, the name of Jesus. We ought to honor the name. We ought to honor the name all the time. The use of the name of Jesus is not just for the preacher and the prayer line on Sunday morning. The use of the name of Jesus is for every single believer, every person in the church. It's the name given to the church. We all have the right and the authority to use the name of Jesus, and that's what we ought to be doing with it. We need to be binding some things and loosing some things in the heavens in the name of Jesus. The Bible says this. It says we bind and we loose, what we read in the King James. One translation says we imprison and we set free. Another translation says we forbid and we permit. Another one said we prohibit and we permit. Another one said we allow and not allow. Have you ever had somebody say, why would God allow something? Because He's going to allow in this atmosphere, anything you allow. Psalm 115, verse 16. It says, God has the heavens, but He's given the earth to man. That's why it's a mess. 
It's because man has it. Satan, man gave it to Satan. It's a mess. Jesus won it back for us. And with his name, we now have the authority to to allow some things. And we have the authority to prohibit some things. And the church ought to be doing exactly that. In the atmosphere in which we live, we ought to be binding and loosing. We ought to be permitting and forbidding things to take place. We ought to be acting like the men and women of God who he called us to be. That's what we need to be. We need to understand, who do we, what do we do? And I taught something here. This is back in September. I taught this. I'm going to teach it again for just a couple of minutes. Finally, my brethren, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of, this darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, wherefore take any the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having all done to stand. I taught you back in September, the word finally means he saved this to the very end of the letter, because he said, this is the most important thing that I have to say to you. Talks about putting on the armor, talks about how to fight. Then he talks about Satan's kingdom and how it's aligned. And Satan knew he had to have some kind of organization because he was an archangel for all that time. There are certain spirits called principalities. Princip- what, what is that? What's a principality? We bind the principalities. You ever had anybody pray that? We're, we're going we're gonna to drive around Lubbock. We're going to bind all the principalities. I don't think that's in the scripture, by the way. I think if that was possible, Jesus would have done it over Jerusalem. I think Paul would have done it at Athens. Let me just, let's just talk about these principalities. The Greek word is arche, which means general or chief. Something from the very beginning, something very ancient, refers to the highest and most exalted positions of power. In the Septuagint Old Testament, uh, the word is used of the highest rulers. We find, we find a picture of this in Daniel chapter 10 when it talks about ruling spirits. Remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was praying about the word from God? He was praying and he prayed and for 21 days. That's why the Daniel fast last 21 days, by the way, because for 21 days he didn't, he didn't eat fun foods. He prayed, sought the Lord for 21 days, and he fasted for 21 days. And then finally some angel breaks through and comes to where he is. He, the angel said, I've come because of your words. That's how you get angelic help, by the way, is with your words. You know, I command you angel. They don't... They obey the word, not you. Can have the word of God. They came, and so they moved. And, and this angel took twenty-one days to get from heaven, the third heaven, to Daniel. Twenty-one days. Angels move like at the speed of light. How could it take twenty-one days for him to get there? Why would it take so long? The scripture says because he was confronted by the prince of Persia. In the Septuagint. Uh, Old Testament, the word here is archus, which means principalities. It took 21 days fighting a spirit that this angel came, and he had to call and get Michael to come and help him to fight through it. Daniel didn't fight this spirit. He didn't fight it. The angel fought, Michael fought, and they fought, and finally this angel got through to come to Daniel. These, these, are, these are demonic forces that are very high. 
in a high level in the angelic realm. And, 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 then, and then, 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 then the angel said to Daniel, he said, okay, I've come, now I'm going to go. I've got to fight the prince of Persia again to get out. Fought his way in, fought his way out. Then I'm going to fight the prince of Greece. It was a fight the whole time. Daniel did not fight these ones. Just throwing that out there to you. They're not flesh and blood. These controlled regions of the earth. Daniel prayed, and in his prayer, angels went to work to fight these principalities. Principalities and powers. The word powers is the Greek word exousia, which means delegated authority. These, are, these are, have like the rank of colonel. They're lower level spirits that operate in a smaller locale, maybe cities or that type of thing. But then, below them, here's what I want you to hear. <clears throat> are rulers of the darkness of this world. Now we're talking about somebody we get to fight. The Greek, the Greek word here is cosmocrate. No, cosmocratore. It comes from a word cosmos, which means arrangement, and krateo, which means raw power. So this is power that has been ordered and arranged. Classical Greek writers use this to describe a boot camp of training where people were raw and they came to get trained, to get ordered. Boot camps today are raw power being arranged so it can be useful, so soldiers can become a force. These particular ones, these rulers of the darkness of this world, they bring darkness into people's minds, specifically trained for specific purposes to thwart people's call, people's destiny, to thwart the church, to cause people to think wrong, because that's how Satan works it, in people's minds. He blinds people's minds. And these spirits come, and I mean, they, they sometimes be passed from person to person, they can be passed from uh, generation to generation, but these are forces that bring darkness in the world. The good news is, in Jesus, we have authority to stop them from being transmitted. We have the authority to stop them in their plans. The Lord gives us instruction. We can now begin to bind them and loose them in the name of Jesus. All right, Satan is serious. The attack is not willy-nilly. He's organized. He's focused. And we need to be as focused in hearing God and what he has to say and attack these spirits. Then there's spiritual wickedness in high places. This, this Greek word is poneria. It describes something that is absolutely wicked with the intention to destroy. It's something malevolent. It's dispatched into high places. Not the moon, not the stars, because Satan doesn't have any need to go to the moon. The stars aren't people there. It's talking about the high places. The, the word literally, high places, it literally means the air that we breathe. It means air with, that is lower than the mountaintops. So they have been dispatched into our environment. These are the spirits that we can bind and we can loose. Bear in mind, we can't bind or loose the spirit of a human. That would be witchcraft. Every man and woman has a free will. I can't say, I bind your spirit. No, 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 we bind the spirit behind your spirit, but not you. Not you. We can't bind them. Okay? We need to understand that God has a plan for us that we can allow it or we can forbid it. The scripture says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, flee from you. Submit yourselves from God, resist the devil. That sounds like binding him, doesn't it? That sounds like not permitting him. And it says he will flee from God. No, he will flee from you. There's a war. We must not allow it. The scripture says, 
neither give place to the devil. We now must resist him. We must bind him. There's a fight to fight, but we need to believe a couple of things. The Bible is true. If it's not true, then let's forget about it. Apart from it being true in us, operating in everything we can operate in, we're just having religion. And the church needs to take a stand. We need to understand it's a spiritual fight, but we have authority. We know that all things are possible to him that believeth. So we're going to believe God. We're going to change the way we talk. Instead of complaining about the Democrats or complaining about whatever it is, we have to be aware of things, but we're not going to spend our time complaining, but confessing and binding and loosing what we're supposed to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have much to do. I thank you, Father, for the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. I thank you you've given us the ability as a church to allow and disallow. Help us get revelation of what we can do, of what you've called us to do, that we might take this gospel of your kingdom into a world that is in desperate need of the Messiah. Father, we give you thanks. We give you honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.